when Dr. Johnston sees five, four, three, two, one, <laughs> she does eyes big eyes. Big. Big it's a eyes. big countdown. It's a big <laughs> countdown for a great episode. We've got, we're, we're talking about some good stuff with starting relationships. Ooh. Starting relationships. We didn't even say the word relationship in the well, damn episode. Take two. It was about interviews, Johnston. <laughs> take two. <laughs> I'm getting too nervous with these intros. <laughs> the, the episode is about interviews and how to make them, how to curate them to really procure associates with an innovative I and flair love what for you critical just said. thinking. To curate them to procure. I right there proves that you have a doctorate just saying well listen you up the ante with this non-collocated team nonsense so you know we really gotta we've set a standard and i listen, will be damned I'm, if we're I'm, gonna go below was the bar awesome. so it here was we are awesome and and yes we we are talking about oh i just went away for it's a minute okay. and came back did you <laughs> well, she left her body and now she's back. It it, it says this there was the worst intro. Internet, I'm so sorry. Today, I think we were hoping to talk about interviews and build off of one of our prior episodes that really focused on building teams. And we really were thinking of teams that were already in place, either that you're stepping into to support or that you're building in a sense of you're building the camaraderie and building the culture and the ethic. But we didn't touch on the hiring process in the inner, more right? specifically, the interview that's process. where it, it all begins with new team members coming on or replacing other team members, that, that process. And even when you think about providing an equitable experience for people as they're coming in to either the, the organization or specifically to your team, how do you set it up, JBM? How do you, how do you set up your, your interview process? Uh, we currently have a strong guideline for at least two professionals in the interview for every one person. So at minimum two, depending on the position, it might be a panel. And then if it is a panel, it would hopefully stay the same panel like for all of the candidates and same questions for all the candidates. All the questions and all the activities, if there's any pre or post interview activities, depending on the position, it needs to be the same for every and single candidate. I think, too, if you don't have the ability to pull two people, two team members away from the work currently to do the interview, then I would say get an HR person, get maybe a representative from human resources or someone, even if you are taking the lead as the primary interviewer, you want to have another person there for a sounding board. You want to have another person there to um, 
to be your witness as to what was said. And yes, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think you guys do it best case scenario that it's another person from the team, which I think is the best way to do it. But if you're struggling trying to find someone, I would not advise people just going in solo and doing the interview. I think you need someone there. I think it, it, it makes a difference. I know, right? Yeah. I used to. There you go. There you go. And, and before I knew better, I think a lot of people do that. And they, and I think they, I think leaders will also do that sometimes as a screener. Like, let me just see if this person is even someone I would want other Mm -hmm. people to meet. And while I appreciate that, I feel like your people services, your human resources, they're doing that when they're recruiting and when they're putting someone up for a position. So really, by the time you start, you want to probably involve someone else and definitely to be your sounding board and then also your witness. You made me think of something and it was like (laughs) the wind in my brain and out my brain. I have this great thrill. (laughs) (laughs) Was something It was, I think it was about screening. If you, if you don't have the time as the higher level leader and you do want individuals that you trust to have that initial conversation, still send in two, right? You could still do that with two other people if you're really pressed for time. And then I would still recommend regardless of the level, you should have somebody else in that interview with you. There's just too many different opinions and perspectives that can come out of one time and space that it's it's always best case scenario to to involve someone else. I would even pull you in and we work in totally different divisions. If if I was really in a pinch and needed something and you were free, I, I think it doesn't to your point, it doesn't need to be division team that's best, but if not, Agreed. just find I somebody agree. that you trust I love, I, to get I in do there and, think and help what you, you said out. earlier about whether it's two people or at some point you might involve a panel of individuals. Um, I like both those approaches. And I think when you have three people, you may have the interviewee and then two people who are conducting the interview um, on the first round. I think you just get more energy and the ability to feed off of one another in the conversation and kind of pull back the layers a little bit more. So while I believe it to be best practice, I also believe that you can get more out of it when you have that opportunity. So I love that. So you guys set it up, two people going in or maybe a panel, and then um, you have some some standardized questions that you use to be sure that your your approach is is similar. We do in a rating scale. And I, I like all of those. Before we go to the questions, I do have a question. Do you read resumes? I do. I actually do. And I try to pick something that off the resume, if there's anything in common or something that's very interesting about the person to kind of try and use that as, as warm up to kind of, you know, make it a little more comfortable when you're starting the interview, whether it's that we have a school in common or um, an area, Mm -hmm. or maybe they have a specialty that's listed that I'm very interested in that I I don't know much about, but just something to kind of, you know, warm it up a little bit so it's not quite so, because interviewing is nerve wracking, at least in my opinion, it can be really uncomfortable. So do you read them? I did. And then when we read the Gladwell book in school, his perspectives on the resumes sort of gave me a new piece of information. So I'll glance, but I won't 
perseverate. Share more, share more about that because I know you, you mentioned the Malcolm Gladwell um, book, The Outliers, right? That we had to, well, we didn't, yeah, I guess we did have to in our doctorate programs, but what a great book, right? I, I think skimmed or scanned the, the hell out of that thing, really <laughs> but I will tell you that every Every yeah. single bit of it oh, I love. Great Every cliff single notes. bit of the cliff note that I read or the, the scanning that I did was phenomenal. It it actually was. We're saying that in jest. We had there was a lot of reading assignments, but that one was on audio and it was it was really interesting. It had a lot of interesting facts, which was part of it and just discussing the bias. So you get a resume that says four years at Harvard, you get a re- that's option A or option B, you get a resume that says started two years at community college and finished at a state school. That's option B. Your brain automatically creates this bias based on brand and what you've been drilled with your whole life about Harvard. And at the end of the day, it goes back to the inclusivity of different SES groups in the United States and how individuals have access to education. And it really does create inequities and inequality in corporations and organizations. So I don't know, that really stuck with me. I I totally agree with that. A lot of not only where you went to school, who, if you were published or not, or what opportunities you've been afforded in your life. No, I I absolutely agree. And I know we've seen some research. We, we also had a workshop that um, we both attended about unconscious bias and we were I think you probably remember the individual pointed out that even a name on an email, whether it's or or on the resume, that's the email that's including the resume or on the resume as female or male, the assumption that we make of, of those based on name, based on, um, you know, what our what our experiences are rather than really again, pulling back the layers, getting to know someone and getting to know who they are and what they bring to the table as far as their talent goes. And that all of that does start on paper. And that I think they even gave us some statistics about, you know, male versus female moving forward in the interview process, just based on, you know, first glance at a resume. And then they did that based on, um, they did it on gender, they did it on um, ethnicity, they had a couple of different pieces. So you bring up a very, very good point that our biases start very early on, right, when we're looking at these things. So you, you, one of your strategies is you glance, you scan, you don't perseverate. So it gives you a little bit of an understanding and then you you take on the interview. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Yeah, I, like I would that. say that's the current situation. Like and in the book, he also talks about questions to ask in the interview. Well, he he kind of alludes to we should be being more open with our questions to attempt and understand and attract individuals with a different I don't know what's the best way to say it with the with the different cognitive landscape, if you will, somebody that is able to think outside of the box, who's able to provide some creativity. So he links creativity and productivity mm-hmm. and innovation 
and how important all of those things are in the workplace and then how to get how some of the very typical interview questions are not going to lead yourself, lead your team or yourself there. So what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What do you offer the organization? And um, maybe I'll pass it to you because I know you're a fan of some of these questions to oh my gosh. talk about what oh you my thought gosh, about yes. because what he's offering. In the book, um, and did we name the book already? Did we say it was Outliers? Okay, good. I'm glad we did that. Sorry if we if we didn't. It's, it's such so. an amazing yes. book. Looking at the the cultural impact that we kind of already talked about with unconscious bias and, and those pieces talks about like mastery of skills. But I do, I, I think that was one of the pieces that really resonated with me was the, the, the difference in the way to present questions and the types of questions that you ask in order to give an opportunity to really see how people think like how they would approach a problem, how they might look at a solution, um, how they just overall assess a situation and then creatively or even innovatively think about how to solve it, right? So, and I'm, I'm glad you kicked it to me, but help me out with this one just in case I get it wrong. Um, we talked about a brick and a blanket. That's in the book, right? That's what Malcolm Gladwell presents in the book. He he asked them to write down as many different uses that you can think of for the following objects. So right off the Brick bat, and a blanket. You're you've given a question that's not common, right? In in an interview, they're going to have to think innovatively and they're going to have to think outside of the box with both a brick and a blanket. You're not asking them to apply it to anything that you're doing at the business currently, but maybe there is, maybe there's some metaphor, there's some piece of, you know, of information that they're going to link that brick to, I don't know, the foundation of your values at your organization. I don't know. I, that would be a tough one, but it's, it's really exciting to get them to think about something else and to ask a question like that. You had another one about um, jelly beans. Yes. I feel like I heard this somewhere, or I at least heard a version of this, but the question was, if you, you presented somebody with all the specifics, so you said you yes. have a, and so I asked you this off mic while we were preparing, but if you have a, we'll say Prius, everyone can picture one of those, and your job is to estimate how many jelly beans would you need to fill up that Prius you have at your disposal one bag of jelly beans, one box, and one iPhone, and you have 10 minutes. Oh How would you it. proceed? I love it. Because when... Yep. I love it too, because it's unexpected. You don't have all your resources. It's so, it's so and true. And all of those things are true you, every day. And, and <laughs> so. the resources that you have that you're given, like you you have the bag of jelly beans, you have the the ability to, you know, use your iPhone or Google, whatever you're going to, you know, Google information on. Um, and, and that's it. So how creatively are you going to be seeking information and kind of, you know, building this idea and finding what your estimate might be for filling that Prius. So I love it. I love it. And I think I go to was to see 
um, really, if anybody else had answered the question, like Google search, do does anybody know out there how many jelly, bags of jelly beans fits in a Prius, right? Because I'm all about not recreating the wheel if it's possible that there's an answer already out there. So I think that's what I said first. And then if that didn't yield anything, I would look at, you know, the size of the jelly bean bag and the size of the Prius and estimate in, in a certain area of the Prius how many, and then try to expand that, right, to the full Prius. But I think even that's telling, right? Even in the way I answered the question, I'm going to look to see, are there models out there that I can tweak, apply, see what's going on first, and then expand on that. So that's, and when we talk about my kind of style of problem solving, the person that I am, that's usually where I start. What what have we seen other people do either successfully or, you know, a total failure? And then how can we learn from that in, in addressing the problem? So I, I thought that was a pretty cool question because I think it really does show how people start to think. Also how they answered though. So I loved how you said, ex- I would look and then I would decide how can I expand, adjust, change the model for what I needed versus if you're in an interview and you mm. give this to somebody yeah. and they say, well, I would just look it up and see what the answer is. That's not quite as refined as describing for the interviewer that you're looking for models that have been successful with this same type of business model. Right. You know, you can of course expand on that in an intellectual way that's going to probably further you along in the interview process because you're not just looking for somebody else's answer you're looking for leads and success to expand so that you can and finding that it's it's kind of like a starting your answer right but yes that would have to be explained or you would get the answer of i'm just if i can't find it if i can't find the answer online i don't know what else to do which would be very telling in an interview and and how people handle problems and how they would be coming to you as a leader when they need support, would they have three solutions at least half baked to run by you and say, here's, you know, here's what I'm thinking? Or would they be like, yeah, just throw up my hands. I, I don't know. I got a problem. You got to help me with it. So here are some other ones, shall we? Ooh. Can you drive in bad weather? This is on CNN.com. I love for it. Or how to ace odd interview questions. And that's and just one of their ha- Just can you? Yes, I can drive in bad weather. Absolutely. That's what it says. It says, just can you? I think if I was asking this question, I believe, I think I would adjust it and I would say, talk me through how you navigate being in a rental car, driving in weather you're unfamiliar with, and you heard there's a snowstorm coming and you need to make it from Colorado to Wyoming. I think I would kind of frame it a little bit more because what I'm looking for is you are tasked with doing something you're not comfortable with. There's no way out. You need to make it to that destination. I want to hear your self-talk and how you would prepare yeah. yourself. I, I like the way, way you did it. To get it done. I think the the other example is too easy to to have to just give a yes or no to and then try to pull more information out. I like an interview question where you can kind of set them up with information and then let them go. Because I think the longer, maybe not the longer, but the, the more information that they're sharing about solving or answering one question, the more you see 
the thought process, right? So I like what you did. You 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 set them up so they have all the information and then mm-hmm. turn them loose and see what the thought process is, how they think it out. And I also like that you talked about the self-talk. Talk me through, right? I, I think that's a really cool way to hear even maybe how someone gets to a certain point and then course corrects. Because wouldn't that be interesting to see in the moment? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just hit my mic with my hand as I was talking. In the moment, um, how a person adjusts their plan, how they course correct if they're thinking through something, but they they see, oh, right now I'm seeing there's a more efficient way to do this. How do they talk about that? How do they talk themselves through it and then talk to another person about it? So I think that one's really good. And I'd also be assessing your ability to assess risk, right? And take risk because we know you have to be able to take risks as a leader. So we want it to be smart risks and we want it to be calculated for success, but you need to be able to take it. So if your answer was right away, I'd get a hotel and wait till the weather passed. That wasn't really an option. You have to get there. So I wouldn't have thought would of that be... to, to get a hotel and wait till the weather passed. I like that though. Safe. Um, it's a safe bet. Uh, no, you'd probably get us in the car and be in a snowbank on the fun. way there or I would something. tell you that much. We'd get there safely, but we'd have fun. It might take us two days. Okay. One more. What oh, do you do when you're alone gosh. and you see a spider in the house? When you're alone and you see the spider in the house, you know what? You're going to laugh. I hope everyone laughs at this, but I, I actually start first because I'm panicked. I start talking to the spider. I know this sounds crazy and it is a little crazy. I, I will tell this thing, listen, you got to go. You can't, you can't be here. And if you're still here, when I get back, I'm going to have to kill you. So I would rather have you go. And then I go and find something to squash it with. And if I can't find something to squash it with, if I'm really feeling brave, I might put a cup or something over it, but only until Troy gets home, husband. I would put something on it and wait until he got home. But I start talking to it. I literally start talking to the spider. There's all kinds of crazy coming out in this episode. I apologize. (laughs) I I feel like I'm not... I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it and flush down the toilet. But if this question was, what would you do if there was a mouse? Okay. I would close the door, get a hotel room, and call animal control. Is that a choice? <laughs> I I think you'd hear me screaming in a county over. Like, I just, oh the, even the thought of it just totally stresses me out. Like, if I saw something right now while I'm sitting on this oh floor gosh. taping this, I swear to God, this whole system would just go up in the air. No, 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 tails. no ma'am. No tails. Nothing with That's the tail. Not no, ma'am. Not, not in this good. house. <laughs> but then this kind of, this question kind of brings out a little humor too, right? I'm, I'm also looking to see with this question, like, I don't really have an opinion about if you have arachnophobia or not. I'm really, I want to, I want to see a little bit of your personality. Like, I want to know what are you going to do? Are you... You know, that's what I'm looking for. Because again, kind of back to that original episode, I want to be able to have coffee with you. I need to understand, do you have a little, can you be jovial? Laughing at work is important to me. And especially on bad weeks, you need to cut the tension. You know, so do they relax with this question or are they like very rigid? 
And sometimes, like you said earlier, because it's nerve wracking to be in interviews, Definitely. it's hard for people to loosen Definitely. up a little bit. Because I, I think Myself I don't, included. I don't know about everyone. I mean, you definitely are there because you want the job, right? And and you want to be a part of the team, but. I think sometimes we get stuck in our heads that we want to give the correct answer, right? And so these questions, they don't have a correct answer. They have the ability to just engage in talking and thinking and more pulling. I think I've said this three times now, pulling back the layers and really allowing the person to to show more of how they would approach a problem or what their thought processes are. So I think they soften the interview, but they also give you a lot. They give you a lot of insight on things. The spider one, see, I don't know then if I'd get the job or not, because now people are thinking I'm talking to spiders in my office. What's that all about? But um, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think you'd see that, you know, that's my process. So if we were doing a research roundup, I think we would have two sources that individuals could go to based on today's information. One would be the Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers, so The Story of Success. It was published in 2008. And the second is an article for Forbes, which is Job Seekers, How to Respond to Bizarre Job Interview <laughs> Questions. So the title is a bit negative, Forbes. Don't appreciate that. But our take on it is that it's necessary and promotes hiring individuals who are creative, potentially innovative, and are able to speak to their critical thinking skills unexpectedly when asked. So any take-homes? What's our knowledge you know, nugget for them to work on this If week? you get a chance, definitely read or scan the, the Gladwell book because it's so good. And the the idea of outliers really is about um, people who have been e extremely successful and have achieved, you know, their their highest level of potential. And so they they think um, they may think differently. They may this is this is the book, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Miller where they talk about 10,000 hours of practice kind of leads to mastery of a skill. So there's so many yes. wonderful things in this book. Applying it to what we've talked about and and a little practice this this week would be thinking of ways to elicit more innovative thought. So not just during the interview process when you're trying to get to know someone, but how do we ask these kinds of questions even in our team meetings where we're getting people to be thoughtful and creative and pull back the layers on, you know, getting to know them and developing that relationship. So just that that would be a, a takeaway that we'd want to we'd want to offer up. Did I did I did I miss anything? I have fabulous idea about adding yeah, these to a yeah. team meeting. Yeah, definitely. That's fun. And, and maybe it's even New specific in, you know, the way, and, and I'm just spitballing here, JBM, so you can, this may be our first edit starting right now. You never know. But in the way that you gave. <laughs> I think we had a couple already, but. In the way. <laughs> I love it. This will be our third. No, just kidding. Um. In the way that you framed or reframed the, C, uh, the CNN question, right? They gave us a very short question and you kind of gave some parameters. 
Maybe that's the challenge. Maybe you're giving a a very common question or even a problem that y'all are trying to uh, trying in some way to find solutions for, but you give very specific resources or time limits or words that can be used and can't be used to get there. And then the team kind of comes together and, and shares out the ideas that they had. But I think just giving the opportunity and setting your people up for thinking differently in the moment um, is going to be a way to practice creativity and innovation and get to know them even better. And I have to just throw this out there in the conversations that we've been having and the research we've been doing. Your creativity is not a a born skill. It's actually a skill that is developed over time. So the more you engage in creative processes, in creative thought, the better you get at being creative. So this is going to be helpful in an exercise in that way. Beautifully said. And I believe we also have another episode idea on creativity. Talk to you soon. Get out there. Ask different questions. Talk to you soon. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and please visit our website for resources at theproject-biglove.com. Be sure to like, share, rate, and leave a positive review. And if you don't have anything positive, no worries. You can skip that part. As always, questions and stories to share are welcome at theproject.biglove at gmail.com. Now for our legal disclaimer from Dr. Johnston. Best practice for change management is to be sure all parties are informed. Please be sure you discuss with your leaders or supervisors any ideas from our podcast today that you might like to use in your organization before implementing.